All right. If you have your Bibles or devices, you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 8, and we're continuing this series we started several weeks ago. As we work our way through John, we're kind of doing series and chunks. This one's called Sinew and Bone. John chapter 8 is where we're headed. We'll get to verse 31 here in a few minutes. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, We're going to spend a few minutes today talking about freedom. And freedom's a really important topic. Uh, I think some people got the impression that Jesus wasn't too interested in us being free. Jesus died to make us free. He's really invested in our independence and in our um, freedom. It's a really important topic. It is, however, really misunderstood, deeply misunderstood. And in our society at large, and by the way, I'm just kind of diving right in, so you got to be fully engaged with me from the beginning. Um, in our society at large, we have accepted a simple foolish, um, a really naive definition of freedom. And ironically, and actually full-on tragically, that wrong definition is robbing people of their freedom. It's the, the misdefinition robs them of freedom in a profound way. Um, freedom in our society is largely defined as the ability to live without restraints. Freedom is understood to be the absence of restraints. And that definition, that definition is so simplistic and so naive that it's embarrassing. And it's also really, really sad because it makes, I'm telling you, it makes people slaves who believe that freedom is the absence of restraints. This mentality that says, I do what I want, when I want, how I want. You can't tell me what to do or how to feel or what to think or anything like that. It's all up to me. It's my prerogative. That's what freedom is. It's the absence of restraints. I would actually define freedom a bit more like this. And it's a lot of words, big words all at once, but stay with me. The capacity and the wisdom to choose the more liberating constraints. Just think about it. Sit with it. The capacity, the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding to choose the constraints or the limitations that are actually the most liberating or the most freeing. Don't worry, we're going to take several minutes here to unpack that. Let me uh, give a quick example. When when my papa was in his mid-40s, he had a major heart attack, heart attack, almost killed him in his 40s, major heart attack. And after that happened, the doctor set him down and he said, look, uh, Tillman, which that's his name. Isn't that a cool name? I think Tillman is such a cool name. He says, Tillman, look, I know that you really enjoy smoking two packs of unfiltered cigarettes every single day. But if you do that, you are going to die. You are going to die soon. Like you're going to die any day now if you don't stop. Now, here's the thing. Old Tillman actually really enjoyed smoking those cigarettes. (laughs) He liked it very much. And to be very clear, he did not want to stop. But fortunately, he had freedom. He had freedom. He had the capacity and the wisdom to choose the more liberating constraint you understand? He had the freedom to quit. He had the freedom to not do what he wanted to do because instead he chose the greater freedom of living and not dying. And by the way, he died uh, last year just a few days shy of 90. He chose 
the limitation that made him more free. And I'm really insecure about you guys not getting this, so nod your head if you're with me. Are you, are you with me? Thank you so much. That will, that will help. You keep nodding your head. It's just like saying, Aaron, I love you. Aaron, I love you. It means the world to me. Um, now, once you've got that, this part becomes really obvious, but let me just say a few more, I think, obvious things, but important for us to sit with for a minute. Um, this is why, this concept is why any free society that has a desire to remain free has to put laws in place and enforce those laws, because if we don't have laws to restrain us, no one will remain free. If there are not laws that govern our society, you will not be free to walk down the street without being robbed or murdered. You won't, you're not free to have peace in your own home. You're not free to own your own home. You're You're not free for anything at all without laws that govern and restrain. And so every free society that wishes to remain free does the obvious thing. They form and enforce restrictions that preserve freedom. It is choosing the more liberating or freeing restraints. There are literally thousands of examples Uh, I I think examples around money are the easiest because they're so transactional and clear to follow. Let's say that you really want this thing. Say you want a vehicle, right? And a vehicle gives you freedom. You can go where you want when you want. You got that freedom. You want that freedom. You want that vehicle. What do you do? You have to go get a job that you may or may not like. You have to work hard whether you want to or not. You have to not do what you might want to be doing during those hours. Instead, you're working during those hours in order to get paid. And then when you get paid, you can't spend that money on whatever you want. You have to save that money. And then once you've got a nice stack of money saved up, which you really want to hold to, now you have to sacrifice that money in order to get the thing that you actually wanted the most that would free you the most. In other words, a whole system, every step of that process is choosing limits limitations and choosing restraints so that you can get to the thing that you want the most. And all of that is, and don't misunderstand this, it is an expression, it is an exercise of your freedom to embrace those limitations. And I kind of think it's pretty obvious. But the fact is that concept has been largely lost. And people instead have chosen to define freedom as the absence of restraints. Let me make you a promise. If you reject restraint in the name of freedom, I promise you will be a total slave in no time. No time at all. And every single person in this room could tell stories, tragic stories, of people probably you love deeply who have made the decision to reject restraint. They have done so in the pursuit of freedom, and they lost all of their freedom because of it. They were enslaved because of it. Please do not ever say, I'm free to do whatever I want. Look, you can do whatever you want, but don't call that freedom. That's, that's bondage. I'll give you another example quickly. I was really proud of my son at the beginning of the school year, the first nine weeks he was virtual. And uh, they gave him a very open schedule. It was a lot of work that they had to do, but they gave him all the work on Friday evening and it was due the next Friday evening. And I told him, I said, hey son, think about this. If you wanna work this, what you can do is you can work extra hard and a little bit extra long from Monday to Thursday. You'll have to do a little bit more of things that you do not want to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But if you choose to do that, you can have a three-day weekend every weekend. 
You can take every Friday off if you do, if you restrain yourself and do it. And on Friday, you'll be free as a bird. And it was, I was proud of him because he did it. I didn't make him do it. He chose to do it. He had, in other words, think about it, the wisdom and the capacity to choose the more liberating constraint. He exercised his freedom. That's freedom. Okay, I'll ask you one more time. You guys still with me? Heads nod. All right, I'll take whatever percentage of nodding heads that was. Fairly high. Um, Now, we've got that idea. Here's another big idea, so don't miss this one. Simpler, all right? So very much, stay with me, so very much of what makes life hard is the trial and error whereby you discover which of the restraints are the most liberating. You with me? Once you realize, oh, restraint actually brings me freedom. It doesn't take my freedom. It gives me freedom. Once you realize that, now you've got to do the work. And it's kind of a tricky work to discover the restraints that are actually the most freeing restraints. So, uh, for example, um, if you are married and you would like to stay married and possibly even happily married, then, um, and get your amen ready, um, you have to restrain your comments. You can't say every stupid thing that comes inside into your brain, all right? You just can't. And you figure that out real quick, all right? You figure that real, I cannot say every dumb thing that pops into my dumb head. I'm pointing at me, not you. You, I'm sure, wouldn't, but me. You can't say every stupid thing that comes into your head. You have to restrain yourself if you want to be happily married. But at the same time, If you actually want to stay married and be happily married, then you need to live openly and honestly with your spouse. You have to deal with your issues. You have to confront the challenges that are there. You can't just restrain them all. Some things have to be discussed and worked through if you want to live openly and happily together. And so there's a balance that has to be discovered. There is a process of trial and error to determine the restraints that are the most freeing, to determine the most liberating path. I hope you're still with me. Growing up, any kid growing up, any adult who's still growing up, I know a few, it's all about learning the most liberating constraints. Trial and error. This gets rewarded. This backfires. I'm going to choose something in between. It's a huge, huge part of life. Now here comes the uh, obligatory weekly puppy illustration. We got this dog in our house now. It's a beast. It's an animal. It lives with us. It's inside. And uh, we want very, very much for little Tyson, who we love him so much, it's ridiculous. It's unearned entirely. But anyway, we love him so much. Um, I want him to be free to go anywhere he wants in the house. We want him so much to be unrestrained inside the house, but he doesn't yet understand that my entire house is in a litter box because he keeps treating it like a litter box. And so we have to restrain him. We got to put him in the pen and we're doing the crate training and all that nonsense. The goal the whole time is for him to understand if you choose these restraints, you get all this freedom. And we want so much for him to have all the freedom, but first he has to understand and choose the restraints that will liberate him. This is so much the way I think the Lord relates to us in many of his teachings. If we would choose the more liberating restraints, there's worlds of freedom he's dying to give us. Now, hopefully we can hold all that in our heads. And with that in view, let's read a few verses that I think should read pretty simple, should make a lot of sense to us. John chapter 8, verse 31. 
Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And so the real pivot point here is faithfulness to the teachings of Christ. All of this is about the teaching. It's about truth. It's all about the teachings of Christ. You're truly my disciples. It's a big conditional statement if you remain faithful to my teachings. And of course, the negative side of that is we're not truly his disciples if we do not remain faithful to his teachings. Verse 32. And we know this one. This is, we got bookmarks for this one. And you will know the truth and the truth, his teachings, the truth will set you free. Now we get some pushback from his audience here, a group of Hebrews, verse 33. They go, oh, no, no, no. We're descendants of Abraham. They said, we have never been slaves to anyone. I just cannot help but hit pause here, even though it's off subject, and just point out that that is a hilariously ridiculous thing for a Hebrew to say. We've never been slaves to anyone. What about all the centuries they spent in slavery to the Egyptians and the Babylonians and to the Assyrians and to their own leaders in many cases, to the Romans to some extent right then and there? How could any Hebrew say we've never been a slave to anyone? I don't know, but that's what they were hung up on. That's where they pushed back, and at the end of the verse, they say, what do you mean you will be set free? We don't need to be set free. We are free. Jesus says this, verse 34. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. A lot going here, but really at its, at its core, at the base here, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's, I think he's just stating the obvious. He's essentially saying, listen, listen closely here. He's kind of stepping into these people. They're, they're trying to declare their independence. They're wanting to be free. And he's saying, hey, guys, listen, here's the thing. I'm God. I know everything, like all the way everything. And I love my creation so much. And I want all of you to thrive so much. And I am in the business of setting people free. Somehow people got the idea that I was not in the business of doing that. I died to make people free. I want you to be free. I came to set you free. And he could also add, one of the hardest things about living in this world is figuring out the restraints that make you the most free. He goes, I know, I know. Here's the deal. Good news. Again, I'm God. I know all the answers. I set this whole thing up. I know how to make you truly free, and I want you in this broken, busted world to be truly free. And so he's as clear as any, any of us could ever want him to be. He says, follow my teachings, and you will be free. Because I, I've, I've laid it out for you. My teachings are the most liberating constraints, and you can actually be free. And I've demonstrated my commitment to you being free. Now, I want to be very clear and upfront with you about this. I don't want to bait and switch. None of that. I want to play any games. I'm going to be real honest. Jesus' teachings, these things that liberate us, that set us free, they're hard. They're hard. Sometimes they're really, really hard. But hear me on this and mark my words. They always, always lead to freedom. Always. Guys, it's hard to put other people ahead of yourself. It's hard. It's not natural or intuitive. It's really hard, but it's freedom. And if you've ever done it for any period of time, you know it's fundamentally freeing. 
it's hard to tell the truth. Sometimes it's really hard. Very often it feels like telling the truth will definitely make things worse. Jesus said it as clear as we could possibly ask, ask him to make it. The truth sets us free. It's hard to confess our sins to one another. Most of us got a couple big ones. It's really, really hard to even think about confessing those sins to another person. And it seems for sure like confessing those sins would make us a whole lot less free. But Jesus knows, and deep down, we know it will make us free. And if you've ever done it, you've walked in that freedom, and you know it to be true. Jesus said, confess, or James wrote, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. That's freedom. It frees us, even though it's hard. And on the other side of that coin, to put it negatively, Jesus meant it. And we could all tell stories that demonstrate just how true it is. He meant it when he said that sin is slavery. It's slavery. It robs us of our freedom. It degrades everything. It breaks everything down because it opposes God's design. He's, he, look, God's not some grumpy dude in the sky who just wants to give you as many rules as possible. He's the creator of everything and wants you to be as free as possible. He knows the way he set up the world. He set up the world in such a way that walking in accordance with his teaching makes us free and walking against and opposing those teachers enslaves us. Walking in consistency with God's design sets us free. Now, Peter wrote about this and he wrote specifically in response to the people who will want to tempt you to believe that freedom really is the absence of restraints. You can do whatever you want, whenever, however, that whole deal, okay? Here's what he said in response to that. 2 Peter 2, verse 19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. And this next sentence is something we all know to be true, but let's sit with it for a second anyway. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Now, let's do a, a simple thought experiment here. And it's, it's ridiculous uh, to even think about, but man, um, let's have this, let's think about this. Can you even begin to imagine how much better and especially how much freer the whole entire world would be if we would just agree and pursue the Ten Commandments? Just those 10 things. Can you, I, I, for one, I don't think I can even begin to imagine. What would it be like? How, incre- again, how free we would be if we all said, yeah, let's do the Ten Commandments thing. We're all in. How, how much freer we would all be if we were not violent. If we were not after each other's stuff. If we only had sex with the person we're married to. If we had rhythms of, of rest and worship. What a better, freer world this would be. And it just demonstrates the obvious. His teachings set us free. Or what if, what if we were all generous the way the Bible teaches us to be generous? Wouldn't everybody everywhere be better off and more free? I want to be, I, I want to again be clear. Um, having more money is great because it gives you more options and that's great. But Jesus warns us repeatedly about money. He says, money wants to run your life. It's not just neutral. It wants control. And that's why it says explicitly, you can't serve me and money. You got to pick. And so, yes, having more money gives us more options, and that's great. But Jesus, whose goal 
is your actual freedom says you be generous with that money. He's very explicit about it. And as a result, and I think this is pretty obvious, as a result, people will be better cared for and will be freer as a result of it. And God's ministry will be fueled in really powerful ways as a result of that. But here's the other piece that we cannot miss. Being generous with our money, in so doing, you throw off the shackles of money. You declare your independence from money. It's freedom from, I think, the world's greatest oppressor. Because following the ways of Christ set us free not the opposite. And not because it's easy, but because it's the way of love. And and Paul, he wrote very plainly about this. The love of Christ will constrain us. It will. It will limit us. But it's all freedom. It's freedom. Now, again, I want to be very clear and honest. Um, All of these things are hard, and they take an incredible amount of trust. And that's really the key. So many of the things that he teaches us to do are really challenging or they seem counterintuitive or the world's pushing in another way and you gotta go against the grain. But as I close, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see why you can trust him even that much, even to do those things that are so hard and seemingly counterintuitive. There are lots of reasons. Here's one. It's because, and don't miss it, it's because he went first. Um, obedience means laying down our rights. It, it, it means even suffering for Jesus, quite possibly, as he leads us into freedom. And I want to be, again, honest. That's a lot to ask. A lot to ask. But you have to see that Jesus has done this already. And he did it on our behalf. Remember? <laughs> you think about it. God glorified king of the universe on the throne. Absolute and total freedom on every imaginable plane. God on the throne in heaven, not restrained by anything at all. But come on, think about it. Think about the incarnation, him setting all of that down. Think about the manger, for crying out loud. How is that for choosing restraint? For the king of glory to lie in a manger. And the way he lived his life and the things he endured on our behalf that we've talked about several times. We've seen the Pharisees plotting against him. His own family calling, his cra- calling him crazy. We know the way this ends. The crowds turning against him, crying out for blood. Nails ripping through his body, a spear through his side. Talk about restraint. He's pinned to a tree while his lungs slowly but inevitably fill with blood and he dies. He gave up all freedom and he chose suffering that we can't even fathom. Carrying the weight of sin itself in order to make us free. This is the ultimate example of having the capacity and the wisdom to choose the more liberating constraint. But hear me, he didn't do it for his own liberty. He didn't do it for his own freedom. He did it for our liberty. He did it for our freedom. And he clearly demonstrated that he is worthy of our trust. Like everything else that matters, it boils down to trust. Can you trust his words? Who he says he is how he directs our lives. Are we going to, I mean, are we going to buy in or not? And again, look, I know it's hard to do. 
The world is a mess right now. It's, it's hard to be in this. <laughs> it's hard to be in now. It's more and more I just find that people are completely exhausted by this pandemic. And there's geopolitical unrest and there's social pressure and unrest and there's financial uncertainty and upheaval. And man, it's just this pandemic on and on it goes. It's just hard to be in this. And I'll be, I'll be clear, it makes it harder to trust him. But it also makes it that much more necessary that we trust him. <laughs> it's probably too honest, but um, last Sunday, I sat up here and I preached about the incredible peace that comes when we really trust the Lord. And I'll tell you what, Sunday I was swimming in it, man. I felt great on Sunday. Uh, by about midday on Monday, I was drowning in fear. Like all those things I was preaching about and meant, by the way, and have lived, I was not living. Anxiety. I'm not used to pendulum swings like that, but it swung on me. Tuesday, the sky was falling. <laughs> that was Tuesday. Uh, um, here's, you should probably know this. About five days a year, I want to do literally anything in the whole world but be a pastor. Anything else, anything sounds amazing. Now, the other 360 days a year, I can't imagine not being a pastor. And that's the truth. I just can't imagine doing anything else. But I got five, about five a year where it's just anything but this. That was Tuesday. Wednesday, I was numb. Thursday, all was right with the world again. <laughs> I'm just, like I said, I'm not used to pendulum swings. I said that just to say, man, I know this stuff's hard. Like, I'm, I'm embarrassed by the number of times that I preach on something on Sunday and then fail completely on that thing sometime on Monday. I'm, it's, it's hard to trust. For some people, the real struggle to trust them boils down to their relationships, how they navigate those. For other people, it's their finances, all of that going on to some degree. For some, it's their careers. For others, it's their families. I think I probably got all of that going on to some degree. But for me, honestly, the big one is this church. I've confessed many times to you, even though I know for a fact that Jesus loves this church so much more than I ever can or ever will, I still struggle to trust him with it. And when I struggle to live this thing out, and this is going to sound so simple, and of course this is what the preacher says, but man, here's the thing. The preacher believes it all the way down to his toes, so here we go. When I'm struggling to live this out, I have to look to the cross. It just pulls everything else into focus. The cross makes it obvious that I should trust him in absolutely everything. How could I possibly look to the cross and conclude anything but I should trust the king of the universe who died on my behalf? He has proven that he's worthy of my trust. And when I fail to trust him in that way, I have to look to the cross again because not only does the cross make it obvious that I should trust him, the cross also makes it obvious that he died to atone for my failure to trust him. It reminds me at every turn, every time I will have the wisdom and clarity to look, there is always more grace, more mercy for the tired and the broken, fearful, the frustrated, for those who struggle to trust him and follow his teachings. So we're going to look to the cross.
David, you can come on up and help us out a little bit. As we look to the cross, I hope we can do this together. I hope we can stay focused around this for a couple of minutes. Let's look to the cross so that we can trust him. Let's look to the cross because we so often fail to trust him. And I hope maybe we can have the courage to do the hard stuff here and consider the things that we struggle so much to trust him with. Just a couple of minutes ago, I confessed that I, I, I struggle with all this stuff, but especially trusting him with this church. If that's a thing. Could you identify what that thing is for you? For a lot of people, they really struggle to trust the Lord with finances. And here the thing, here's the thing. I, I don't think this is hyperbole. I'm getting close to 40. I've never seen this amount of economic uncertainty. If that's your thing, this has got to be a hard time. For a lot of people, the thing that they struggle to trust him with the most is their health. Again, I don't think it's hyperbole. I don't think I personally have ever lived through a time where it would be harder to trust the Lord with concerns around health. For a lot of people, it's their careers. I've never seen more careers in jeopardy. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think I'm overstating anything. For a lot of people, it's their relationships. How do I navigate this marriage or my family or these people I care about? And I'll say it again at the risk of being redundant, but I also think it's true. I don't think ever in my life I've seen so many people struggle in their relationships because there are expressions of, of strain and pressure. It's based on the air that we're breathing these days. And so I imagine maybe it's as hard as it's ever been, at least in our lifetime, to trust him with our relationships, our careers, our finances, our health, the church, whatever it is. Can we take a minute in stillness before the Lord? Identify what that thing is. Or maybe if you're like me, what those things are. Holy Spirit, come speak to us now. Just take a minute and just put your finger on that thing. That's, man, it's so hard with this. to it. Just hold on to it for a second. Don't let it slip your mind. For some of you, identifying that thing is so easy. You can do it in a heartbeat. For others, it might be a little bit more hidden. So we're just going to take a few more seconds. Lord, would you show us those things wherein we struggle the most to really just trust you and say, okay, I, okay, I will follow your teaching." I will confess my sins or I will be generous or I will let you lead me down this career path or I will obey and as it pertains to this relationship. Whatever it is, Lord, would you show us? And now as we hold on to those things, God, we look to the cross. Would you form an image in each of our mind's eyes right now, Lord, as we see the Son of God dying in our place. Dying to make us free. You're our deliverer. 
You're our liberator. You are freedom. As we hold on to these things that it's hard to let go of, and we look to the cross, Lord, would you begin to loosen our grip? We could say, okay, Lord, I, I will trust you with this. I trust you. I'm going to follow your teaching. I'm going to believe that it actually leads to my freedom. I'm going to believe that your ways are right and good. I'm going to trust your way over my own. I'm going to let this thing go. Holy Spirit, come and help us do it. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace that you understand it can be so hard for us. We don't see things clearly. If we could see things clearly, it would be so easy. We would throw those things at your feet. Nothing could stop us. But Lord, we confess we don't see clearly. Because of that, we cling to those things. And we we feel like we should go our way and not yours. Holy Spirit, come. Give us faith. Give us grace. Let those things go. Trust you. Trust our liberator. Trust our king who died to set us free. Of course, we can trust your way. God help us. God help us. We can't do it on our own. But your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. God help us. As we look to the cross, we see that we should trust you. As we look to the cross, we can also see there is grace upon grace. There is mercy. There is forgiveness for our every sin and failure. Our sins are many. Your mercy is more. Help us to see it now. 